And so let me just point out, we have never made it through an animal study successfully for this type of virus. We have never done this in humans before. At least we haven't. Maybe the Chinese have, and I'll talk about that in a second. But that's, that's why we don't really have a track record of success. This vaccine was rolled out to distribution centers before they even made a show of caring about the FDA approving it. You realize that? I mean, it went out to for distribution. I know in Nebraska, it was in the distribution center within days before the FDA even said they were going to approve it. What? Do you get the sense that medicine is being weaponized against our freedom and that this coronavirus is being used to trample our rights? Well, you're not alone. Uh, today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Dr. Lee Merritt, and she's got a, a bio that I, I could spend all half an hour on, on her bio. I'll just kind of go through it real quick. She started her medical career at age four doing house calls with her <laughs> father. Uh, she's a lifelong member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Uh, she's the past president of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, which is a wonderful, wonderful group of doctors. Uh, she's a former board member of the Arizona Medical Association. Uh, and I, I, this bio is just incredible. Classically trained physician, got her medical degree from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Uh, she was an orthopedic spinal surgeon for 27 years, studied bioweapons, uh, did her internship at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland in uh, internal medicine. And then she did uh, residency in orthopedic surgery at San Diego Naval Medical Center. She spent 10 years as a military surgeon. Uh, all over the place. She uh, she was awarded the Lewis Goldstein Fellowship in Spinal Surgery, the only woman to have ever uh, received that. And uh, just incredible bio. She's been a speaker at Doctors for Disaster Preparedness, a wonderful conference, uh, if you're not familiar with it. And she is uh, something of a free thinker. And uh, so, uh, Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been an exciting week. I was in Washington, D.C. before this. so. Oh, wow. I bet that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, so um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this this COVID and, and how it, it seems like it's just the perfect excuse to uh, take our rights, shut down our businesses, destroy our economy, uh, overrule our, our you know, personal bodily integrity. Now they're saying maybe we're going to have mandatory vaccines. Uh, what are your thoughts on this COVID? Is the virus, does it really justify the level of hysteria we've seen and the massive expansion of government power that we've seen? Well, the simple answer is no, it does not. And, um, you know, when I gave my talk in August at the Doctors for Disaster Preparedness, the, name, the talk was SARS-CoV-2 and the rise of medical technocracy. Now, I I had been asked to talk and I, I had come up with an idea years before that. Literally, I'd started thinking about a talk for them over the couple of years because I go to the meetings periodically. And my talk was on the weaponization of medicine. The problem is by the time I actually was ready to give the talk, I had to change things so rapidly because they, they did it. They did kind of what I thought, you know, and I really do believe we're at war. We're not, we're, we're in an unconventional, unrestricted war. The kind that the, the, the military Chinese generals talked about 30 years ago, and I'm not saying this is just coming from China, but, but that's the proximate military militarization of this. And, and my thought before I even before all this happened, when I was just theoretically thinking about this, was 
you know, warfare has um, changed over time. You know, we started just hitting each other over with clubs and then we went to set piece battles. And then we went to, you know, we as Americans, we kind of pioneered guerrilla warfare shooting behind trees. And the British thought that was unsportsmanlike and, and on and on. But, but in our lifetime, uh, what I call military, uh, you know, conflict 4.0. And I made this up before I ever even heard people now talking about fifth generation warfare, but that's really what we're talking about. 4.0 was when we were fighting, say, ISIS or the tower or, or um, Al-Qaeda. And you you knew maybe who the enemy was by the Geneva Convention. They appeared like a standing army. They had uniforms, they had training, they used, you know, group tactics and things. But you really weren't 100% sure who the enemy was because you didn't know who was funding them, who was sending them weapons, who was really doing the training. So there was plausible deniability. But what if you could take it the next step further? So what, I, what I've called and what I've learned, actually, some other people have called Warfare 5.0. What if you had a weapon that was so stealth that not only did you not know who the enemy was, you didn't even know you were being attacked? So it looked like nature. Okay, and that's really what we're in here, in my opinion, is that kind of scenario. So what they've done, and, and this is, again, my thinking about this. I didn't read this anywhere, but I know about how this thing came about. One of the things I learned, and I actually learned from a somewhat, I, I figured this out, but then I was confirmed by a Taiwanese engineer on an airplane I was on one night. And he said that they don't listen. The reason they didn't get hit badly with this virus, they figured it out right away, is that they don't listen to what the Chinese Communist Party propaganda, their news, listen. they don't listen to them. What they do is they have a whole department that screens their social media. And when they see something get censored, they start looking at it, that that must be the truth. Now, that's something that we should start appreciating here in America today. Wow. But so, so I'm going to tell you. I, I believed early on in February that this was a biologically manipulated bioweapon because the minute that anybody popped up with data suggesting that, they were censored. You right. know, the, the old military air, air the, uh, pilot dictum that when you're catching flak, you're over the target. So I believe that. And I think there's a, I, I, you know, we don't have time to go into it, but I think there's a host of evidence that shows coronavirus is a naturally occurring, very benign virus that doesn't even give most people the cold, but at the most it gives you a common cold, right? Doesn't kill you, doesn't make you very sick. But what they've done is it's the transmission device. So think about how we were years ago. It, when we first came into the nuclear age, we couldn't easily distribute nuclear weapons. We had to drop them from onto the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So we had we just had to take them in a plane. But now we have the hard part is actually the guide, guidance missile, the guidance missile technology. So in bioweapons, what we had is we had a lot of bioweapons over the years. And the one I was very worried about was smallpox. But some of these, most of these bioweapons were either hard to distribute or there was treatment for them or something. And the problem here is, is distribution. So here, like, you know, remember the anthrax thing, it came out in the envelopes, it went to Congress. It's hard to distribute anthrax. It might be deadly to some people, but it's hard to distribute. So let's pick, let's make a missile. And the missile is coronavirus, which is a huge, highly transmissible, very small particle virus. It can't be masked away no matter what the propaganda is. You can't hide from it behind a plastic little screen that costs businesses too much money. It's just incredibly transmissible, but it's very benign. Now, add to that uh, the basically the warhead. And the warhead is a little protein that they tacked on that attaches to your ACE2 pathway. And human beings have these ACE2 pathways that's somewhat genetically determined. And when you when you uh, put on this 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 hook, this what they call the spike protein, 
then it gets into these ACE2 pathways, which now is in your heart, in your lungs, in your testicle, in your brain. It can kill you. Now, I believe what happened here is that whether, and we can argue, I kind of think it was let out purposely, but Ida can't prove that. It, it was either accidentally released or it was let out purposely, but whatever it happened. When it first came out, like many viruses, I believe that it was, it was worse. The first generation was more deadly, okay? So that it came out, it did kill a lot of people in Wuhan. It did kill people in Lombardy. I tell people, you know, there's a problem when doctors are dying and doctors and nurses in Lombardy were dying. If we can't save ourselves, we're in trouble. That's the time to go to your basement. It does help to go to your basement, <laughs> but you can't then go out to have a beer or go out and go to the grocery store. <laughs> that's, that's just shutting down people's business for economic warfare. But real isolation, like against smallpox works. So anyway, it first came out to Lombardy. It went to New York. That was probably first generation virus. And it did kill a bunch of people initially. But just like most viruses, almost all viruses that I know of, you know, as they pass through the human host, they get weaker. This is just a, you know, adaptive advantage. If you're the Napoleon of viruses and you want to take over the world, you don't want to kill every host you come across. You're not going to spread. So what you do is you become less, less deadly, more transmissible. And that's what this has done over time. That's my belief about the big picture here. But what happened is as soon as this thing came out, it became, you know, it's very easy to piggyback onto things. And whether, like I say, whether the, if this was a planned release, then we're talking about planned warfare. If it was an accidental release, then we're talking about warfare that was piggybacked onto this accidental release. Because what they've done is they've made it, they've used it to create fear. And fear is an incredible uh, psychological manipulator of populations. If I want to make everybody, you know, if I want to, they've taken, look at, they, like you said, they've taken down our economy. They've taken, they're taking down our generation of children with these stupid masks. They're damaging us in all sorts of ways. And it's a psyop at this point, because here's the other thing we learned. And I don't think they, I don't really think they expected us. Doctors like myself, I mean, we had nothing to do. We were shut down. We were sitting at home. And what do we do? Our response is to study. And we learned lots of things. In fact, I found out that we had treatment for viruses probably going back into the 19, late 70s. And so I graduated medical school in 1980. So I'm an old fart, but my son graduated much later, just recently, and he's a general surgeon. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard in your entire medical education, all the fellowship, all the stuff you're doing, you ever heard we could treat viruses with, with, bio, with these antimicrobial agents? No, he never heard it. Called my friend in Florida, 40-year internal medicine professor real medicine doctor. He said, you ever heard that we could treat viruses with some kind of antimicrobial agent? No, he never heard that. So this is the biggest lie. I, I tried to publish a paper called that, but they made me change the title to something I can't remember. But it's about the fact that they've lied to us for 40 years about this treatment. So here's the big picture. If you have, if you bring out a virus like this, you don't need, when we talk about vaccines and things, why do we have vaccines? We have vaccines because we didn't have treatment for small for smallpox. We didn't, and it was a very deadly disease. That made sense to have a vaccine. We didn't have treatment for um, polio initially, so it made sense to have a vaccine. But this, even without doing anything, this disease has a 99.991% chance of survival in last viral season. I'll call it a viral season because it really isn't just a flu season anymore. But mm -hmm. you know, in the winter season, that's what our Last season, that's what our horrible, including New York and everything, that was the overall survival in the world. As opposed to a standard viral flu season, it's 99.992%. You see the big difference. So, so number one, it's not that all deadly. But number two, we actually have a treatment for this that works extremely well. In spite of all the propaganda and the attempts to falsify the medical literature, which they've gotten caught at, 
and the attempts to dis, dis, just dismiss anything they don't agree with, oh, we, not, we have treatment for it, and it really does work. So we don't need, and you'd say, why would they hide treatment? Well, I can come up with two reasons. One is that um, your $69 billion vaccine industry goes to zero if you have an effective treatment for all these viral airborne diseases, right? So mumps, measles, blah, blah, blah. It might help all of these. We don't know completely yet because they've hit And, and to be clear, you're talking about things like uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. Right, and ivermectin. There are probably mm-hmm. others. These are called lysosomotropic agents. And, and I can tell you that my, one of my friends called me. He's, a, he's an anesthesiologist, but he's trained in India initially. And, and he was so excited. He called me in the middle of the night when we first kind of, we heard about it before Trump said anything. Because it isn't, I first thought that they said, oh, they didn't want to go along with this because orange man bad. They just didn't want anything that Trump said was good was bad. But we actually knew about it beforehand. And it's much bigger than anything to do with Trump. So he called me and he said, I think I know how these things work because he got out his old textbook of infectious disease and and biochemistry, basically, from India. And he figured it out. I said, "Okay, well, if that's the way it works, we should be able to find other medications. And then I found the term lysosomotropic agents and I started looking for these. And it turns out there are a number of them. But the bottom line is, why don't they want you to know? Well, the, the, the $69 billion vaccine industry goes to zero. But even more than that, if we are at bio warfare right now, as a part of this multi-dimensional warfare. If you have a treatment in your back pocket, they cannot terrorize you with vaccines. I mean, with viruses. And that's important because even if the way they've made this experimental, uh, it's really not a vaccine, but whatever this thing is, you want to tell that they're calling this Pfizer vaccine, this Moderna vaccine, this RNA thing, it doesn't prevent transmission by their own admission, okay? And even if it did, it is created to act on the on the the warhead part of this deal, the, the the spike protein. So next year, these guys and these bioweapons, which one of the other things I learned sadly is that there are these bioweaponeers all over the country, and that we literally have funded them. We've literally funded. Think about this: we have funded a PLA virologist to come and work in our Army bioweapons lab. That is the height of insanity or treason. And the PLA so, is People's Liberation Army for the folks out there not familiar with right, the, the Chinese that is communist China. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it went, under the Clinton administration, by the way, it was completely illegal to have non-aligned foreign students. So if you were from Iran or in or someplace that was not one of our allies, you couldn't even work in a biology lab that worked with lesser pathogens. You know, any pathogens that could be used as a as a bioweapon. So. So suddenly we've gone from that stance under the Clinton administration to under the Obama administration, actually funding PLH, Chinese communist virologists to work in our bioweapons lab. It's absolute insanity. But I found out that there are these guys, we have more bioweaponeers than I, than I anticipated. I knew the Soviets had them and they were probably around, but I didn't realize how many were generally in the world. So they can now create another little thing to go on this coronavirus. Now they got the missile technology. They can put whatever they want on there. And every year you'd have to have a different vaccine. So don't think that even if you believe vaccine, this type of vaccine will work, which I don't, even if you believe that, it's not a permanent solution. Viruses are all around us. They're part of nature. We lived with them for millennia. We'll live them for them. Hopefully, if we survive all this, we'll live another few millennia with them. But, you know, we have to have a solution that doesn't involve a, a vaccine of any kind. And that we have those solutions. We have treatment and we have prevention. So not only is hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine good for treatment, it's good for prevention. 
But the other thing is you can improve your own immune system through supplements. People, the, the you know, big pharma doesn't ever want you to do that, but there's no question. The I I was when I was sitting at home kind of getting mad and watching the computer and I kept kicking the screen saying, you know, for all the billions of dollars we pay the CDC, why do they not drill down on the people getting really, really sick and dying? Because have you noticed that there's kind of a there was a bimodal distribution? There were people that were from you know, that walked away from this thing. Most people, 90 percent of 90 plus percent of people just they never really get sick with this. They get a little sick or they get a flu like thing, but they walk away from it. And then there's a very small percentage of people that are in the ICU or dying. Who are those people? Well, the CDC for all that money never looked at it, Lure. They didn't tell us. But the Indonesians did. And they looked at, and they found out that it was almost the biggest, they looked at a bunch of different things, but the biggest, biggest thing is what your vitamin D level was. If it was above 30, your chance of being in the ICU was less than 4% of high, of sick people in the hospital. So much less when you're looking at the big population. So biggest thing people can do is get their vitamin D level up and the sun doesn't do it. So that's my big overall view of this thing. And, and I do think it's part of a takedown of America. That is absolutely fascinating, Dr. Merritt. And you know what's funny? Without being a medical professional, without having read all the literature, I was coming to similar conclusions yeah. just from, from what I could discern from what was in the Good. press. So I, I want to drill down a little bit more on these vaccines. Uh, you know, it's a hot topic. Just yesterday, Biden, uh, we're recording on, on Thursday, January, what's today, the 14th or the 15th? And just, yeah, the 14th. And just yesterday, Biden put out a tweet that he's going to ensure that every American gets this vaccine. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> does that include me and my right. family? Um, do you have any concerns about the safety of the vaccine? And what, I mean, would you recommend to your patients, if you're practicing, to to take that? Or would, you de- would it depend on their risk profile? What do you think? Oh, I have lots of concerns, not the least of which is for the integrity and the moral turpitude of the, of the medical profession, because, you know, we never force people to have a medical treatment. And no matter how you look at it, having a vaccine of any kind, whether it's a flu vaccine or this, is a medical treatment. Nobody should be coerced or forced to have it. And by the way, that's what we hung the, the doctors after World War II in Germany for that principle, for violating that principle, and we shouldn't be doing it. But the medical, the, the safety thing is this. So I always tell people, you know, I'm not going to tell you whether to get a vaccine or not. You have to make your decision up, but you should be allowed to have informed consent. Mm-hmm. And we're, that is getting so bad that if you put up the uh, package insert for a vaccine on your, on your Facebook, you can get taken down. So let's just keep <laughs> in mind here, we're not getting informed consent here. We might think we are, we're not. So if you look at the history of these vaccines, just real quickly, these are these are not these are experimental biologics. I don't even like to call them vaccines because tra- classically, the how vaccines work is this: you grow a bunch of the pathogens. So let's say it's measles. You grow the measles in the in a in a vat or in eggs, and then you take a portion of that and you make it less strong. You you attenuate it. You make it weaker. And there's different ways of doing that. And then you inject it into people and their own immune system sees that weakened pathogen. And then they react to it just enough that it puts it in their immunologic memory. And then when they're exposed to it the next time, they memorize it and theoretically they can then better respond. That's what your real body does when it gets sick. You're, you're, you're just without all this vaccination stuff. You get sick with a, uh, with a virus. You get perfect lifelong immunity for the most part. And, and it's over. Okay. So, what, but how is this different? Well, this is not, they're not giving you a pathogen or a piece of a pathogen or a small piece with, a, with an adjuvant, which is a chemical that makes your immune system react more. What they're doing is programming 
mRNA. And mRNA is a little piece of it's 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 like DNA, but it's the messenger RNA. It's what it's what makes proteins in the body. It's kind of like a computer chip that you put into a a 3D printer, and then it you tell it what you want it to make, and it prints it out. Right? That we have that in in engineering. And this is the biologic equivalent. I make a I make some mRNA, and it tells your body to produce certain things. Well, in this case, what they've done, they've made a, a piece of this mRNA to create in every cell of your body that spike protein, or at least part of it. And that spike protein, you're actually creating the pathogen in your body. So, you know, this is where it gets a little wishy about how much of that spike protein is actually being created. And I don't know how to find that. I can't find that, but I'm sure somebody knows. What happens is the problem, and this is the problem, and I'll tell you what happened in the animal studies. There've been four different vaccines and three different animal studies that I know of in ferrets, in um, uh, what's the other cats was cats have a natural thing with the coronavirus. So it's cats and ferrets. And I think something else. They started after SARS, they did cats. And then after MERS, they did, which are all coronavirus pathogens that are more deadly. And they, they after MERS, they tried it in ferrets and something else. And what happened is all the animals died. It wasn't subtle, okay? But they didn't die of the vaccine. What they died from was called immune enhancement or antibody-induced enhancement or antibody-dependent enhancement. They call it ADE now, but it's it's they used to call it immune enhancement. Here's what happens. So they make the RNA, and so you're getting ready with this. They, you get the vaccine, and you do fine. All right. Now you challenge the animal with the virus that you're supposed to be immunizing against. So when they charged, when they challenged those cats with 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 SARS, what happened is instead of instead of killing the virus or you know weakening, what they did is your your this stylized immuno response that they've made, built into your system went out and coated the virus. So the virus came into the human, or the cat's body like a Trojan horse, unseen by the cat's own immune system. And then it replicated without checking and killed the cat with overwhelming sepsis and cardiac failure. Oh and that goodness. happened in the ferrets. That happened every time they've tried this. And so let me just point out, we have never made it through an animal study successfully for this type of virus. We have never done this in humans before. At least we haven't. Maybe the Chinese haven't. I'll talk about that in a second. But that's that's why we don't really have a track record of success. This vaccine was rolled out to distribution centers before they even made a show of caring about the FDA approving it. Do you realize that? I mean, it went out to for distribution. I know in Nebraska, it was in the distribution center within days before the FDA even said they were going to approve it. Wh what? I mean, it, I've never seen that happen before. And the longest they've really followed people after the vaccine is two months. Well, you see, that's that's not enough time to know that we won't have that antibody enhancement problem. And I will make this military point. This is a perfect binary weapon. You could you could there you there's no way I know exactly what that mRNA is programmed to. And neither do you and neither do most doctors. The doctors can't get at that data. That's the guys, the guys at the very top of this project. OK, they know, but we don't know. They say it's to the spike protein, but how do we prove it? We don't know. So if I were China and I wanted to take down our military, that's easy. I make this, I just do like we've seen happen. I, I, make, it pro, I make it to a something, a, a, a something I could hook onto this coronavirus, like the spike protein or something else, another protein. And I just, I just make an mRNA to that, but I know it doesn't exist in nature, so nobody's going to die from the vaccine. 
And then two years later, I released the, the, the whatever it is that I made. You see what I'm saying? The counterpart. And it causes wow. this immune enhancement death. So it's a delayed death. That's what binary, binary poisons are. They're delayed. They're, I give you part one. Because it, you know, I and then I can walk away, and then you accidentally get in contact with part two and die, and you can't trace yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and that's not a hypothetical threat. That's I, not a hypothetical. That, that there, there, there was a, a leak of members of the Communist Chinese Party out of Shanghai, and there was hundreds of them working in Pfizer and AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline, the companies that were making these vaccines. That is absolutely terrifying. So we're going to uh, trust them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, right. In our that they're acting in our best interest. Where, where, where do we go from here, Dr. Merritt? In the last few minutes that we have left, uh, what are your concerns about what's coming on the horizon? I've, I've talked to doctors. They've said maybe we're coming up to a, a COVID 2021, uh, you know, some, some variation of this. They've talked about this coronavirus mutation that's now supposed to be 70 times more virulent. I don't even know what that means. I don't know how you how you measure the. Well, I can tell you. Yeah. That's actually they, what they're, they're, that's the one from Britain. Don't even worry about that. That's just chump change. What they're saying is it's more transmissible. That's like saying, I was going 95 on the freeway, but now I'm going to go 97. You know, okay. don't worry about that. Transmissibility, we don't care about. This is so transmissible. It's making it a little bit worse. is not going to be the problem. Lethality is what you're worried about. And that's what we're not talking about that. Now, they could come out with something else. But again, all, if you come out with something that's based on these airborne viruses like Corona, we pretty much have a treatment, which is the hydroxychloroquine or the ivermectin. So why are they trying so hard? So they're, they're, what we need to do is we need to take back our world from the, from the virology bad boys by having a supply of, of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine available. Now, notice that two, what's the chance of this? Two hydroxychloroquine plants burned down and they say, oh, no, they weren't hydroxychloroquine plants. No, they made the precursors to hydroxychloroquine, right? So, you know, you're being lied to at every turn. But what we need to do is we need to stand up. Now, I'm, I'm proud to say Governor Ricketts in Nebraska, he's one of the five governors who's not, not restricted hydroxychloroquine in any way, shape, or form. We need to, everybody needs to ping their governor to stop signing this stuff that's being brought to us by the medical universities, they're all being paid by Fauci and the NIH. Let's get over this and let's give your people the ability to defend themselves. This is like saying, okay, we're, we're going to have missiles incoming, but you can't build sand, you know, sandbags. You can't have a basement. You can't have a bomb shelter. No, that's not right. You should be able to have a defense. Doctors should be aware of the defense. We got to quit lying about the defense. And we need to tell people there are five or six things. I have a little COVID kit in my office. It's NAC, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, selenium, and quercetin, six things. And if you do that, you can improve your immune response and your immune, um, your own ability to fight this off and not get terribly sick. It's possible that they are going to come around with more dangerous things, though, in the future. And then we need more than that. So that's why we have to pump, we have to, we have to get the truth out. People have to push around the the, the news that there, we have treatment and patients are getting it, which is sad. Patients are afraid to go to hospitals because they know they're not going to get the right treatment. That is sad. But doctors, and I, I would just make this point to doctors. I get it. If you're in training and you can't speak out, you're stuck. You're not, I don't fault you. I do fault everybody above that. The people that are taking the money from Fauci, the people that are taking the money from the NIH that are willing to take that money and push remdesivir and kill people. Not because they're necessarily killing them when they're in desivere, but they're killing them by omitting treatment early on as outpatient that works. 
And the doctors below those that are out of training, they have to make a moral decision here because you can't, we should be prophylaxing people in nursing homes. We could be saving lives for $5 a week. We could be saving a lot of these old people, but they don't want to. Those are, those are what the, they're considered kind of not contributory to society. That's where the Nazis went with this, people that are not worthy of living. We have to get over that because you, you guys, the doctors that are making the choice to, to be quiet because, yeah, they got a mortgage, they got two kids, and they don't want to lose their university salary, it's time to rethink your position. I think everybody needs to, to in the medical community, we need to man up and be honest here. The, the, and the yeah. information's out there. Don't tell me there's no evidence. You know, they're lying to you about the evidence. If you really make any effort on the internet, you can find the evidence. And if not, you can go to the, um, I'm a frontline doctor. You can go to America's Frontline Doctors, AFLDS.com. You can go to the uh, America, uh, the Association of AAPS Online.org, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and many other organizations are speaking up now. Excellent, Dr. Mary. That's the last thing I was going to ask you. Uh, any final websites that people should visit? Uh, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, which is a phenomenal group, uh, the Frontline Doctors, any other groups, and any parting words of wisdom for us, Dr. Merritt? Well, there's the Barrington Declaration, and um, I mean, there's just so much on there. If you just kind of go to alternative sites, um, SOT.net has lots of good articles. I would say if you want to get out of the pandemic right now, it's really easy. You turn off your TV. You take off your mask, you reopen your business, and you live your life. You hug your relatives, you go see your old old relatives, and, and you have neighborhood parties. Because let me tell you, we cannot live in a basement. Even if you think masks work, don't do this to your children. How many decades are you going to do this? Live every winter, every year in a mask from now on? No, not doing that Amen. anymore. Masks don't work. Amen. Yeah. Well, Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for sharing your incredible insights. Folks, as Dr. Lee Merritt, please share this video out. Uh, you know just as well as I do, it's probably not going to be up on YouTube very long or on <laughs> Facebook. So guys, get this out. Send it to your friends, to your relatives, to your mailing list. Share it on alternative social media platforms. This information is absolutely critical, folks. Lives are on the line. Our freedom may be on the line. So help get this information out. Visit those websites and share it with everybody you know. Dr. Merritt, thank you once again. Folks, thank you for watching and God bless you all.